Hallelujah. There we are. Welcome to Ten Strike Community Church. Welcome here in person. Welcome online as well. Uh, we are uh, live on Facebook today. All right. Um, stay after church today. The TCC youth are serving pulled pork sandwiches and coleslaw. We welcome the binding of hearts together in spiritual fellowship during lunch. 10 a.m. this Wednesday coming up, there will be live streaming Facebook as Pastor Dean and Dan Woodward are uh, sharing from God's Word, the heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. 6 p.m. on Wednesday, youth group. 6.30 on Wednesday, the Kairos gathering with Tim and Kathy Pump. For giving tithes and offerings, mail them to 10 Strike Community Church, P.O. Box 67, 10 Strike, Minnesota, 56683, or give online at 10 If you're here today, you can put your tithes and offerings in the boxes at the back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that we depend on you, we live in you. Lord, we pray that as you move upon our hearts this morning, as we give and as we receive your word, you are working through us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may know Herb uh, Bromenschenkel. He's here uh, to share with us this morning. Look forward to the Word of God. Prepare your hearts. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My talk today isn't going to teach you some great mystery um, or even find that little nugget of truth uh, like Pastor Dean did when he talked about the prophetess Deborah. My talk is today to encourage us to focus our thoughts and around the most basic truths of the Bible. I am going to attempt in 30 minutes to cover from Genesis to Revelation. And I know that's a tall act, but you know, sometimes we have to. And, I was thinking about this, and before I do that, I think we need to set up an analogy. The analogy I thought of, and it's just probably my work, but I thought of like when I was in high school, and we'd scrape mouth cells off our mouth and put it in a microscope on a slide. And when you had that slide or that microscope way up, you couldn't see anything. And then slowly as you brought it closer, the cell came into focus. And then, but if you wanted to see anything else, you had to get down and focus on that individual component. And I thought about that. You know, that's just like God. If we're not looking for God, we won't see him. And if we're just content to see God from a distance, you know, we see God, but do we know the heart of God? And, and to do that, we have to, like in the microscope, we have to get down to the nucleus. Well, with God, we've got to get down to his word. So today I have a lot of verses. And... Um, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to cover him because he's in his word. And so I just want to start with John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This verse is the start of John's gospel. He uses this as an introduction to, I don't know why we're getting feedback. He uses this as an introduction to Jesus. And what I find so Amazing. I mean, if we think about that, in the Word, Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. All that in the beginning of John's Gospel. And I thought about it. John's introducing us to Jesus. Look how Moses, 
or the Genesis introduce us to God in the beginning. They start the same way. And it's, it's not a coincidence. I believe it's a point of this is a massive introduction that we're starting in the beginning. And John goes on in 1.3, all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made. It's the same theme as in Genesis. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And so John's really telling us God is coming down to this world. In verse 14, he clarifies everything. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. And the word who is God made all things and took flesh. So back to my analogy of the cell. If we look at the Bible, there's all kinds of different pieces in the Bible. The God introduces himself to man. There's a rebellion of man. There's a correction that occurs, that occurs through repentance, often with punishment. There's a desire from God to coexist with his creation. And there's a teaching and healing of Jesus. Those are all great things. But it's really not the core of the Bible. So if we throw that picture of the cell wall up, or the cell, picture I had. And if you look at that, there's got all those parts, just like the Bible. But the center of it, the nucleus, the main part is Jesus. That, I say in Micah 10, that's like Jesus Christ. But it's really not the most important part of the Bible. Because Jesus could have came to earth, he could have gave all these great teachings, he could have healed, but it would not have been the most important part. No, I contend, as in the cell, the DNA, the definition, rough definition of DNA is in, contains instructions needed for the organism to develop, survive, and reproduce. Essentially, it's the core, life-giving part of the cell. And what is it about Jesus that gives us life, gives us the ability to develop, survive, and reproduce spiritually? The most important thing about Jesus Christ, the most important thing about the Bible is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. As DNA is necessary for the cell to survive and reproduce, the shed blood of Jesus Christ is necessary for us to survive and reproduce. Today I'm just going to talk about the basics of the blood. Five things, and there's more, but five things to me that are deep in my heart, what that blood of Christ did, and what we should always remember. Because for me, it's so easy, it's such a general thing, but it's so easy to take for granted and I'll talk about when I first came to Christ. I had no clue what it meant to come to Christ, what it meant for that blood of Christ. So it's always good to remind us of these basics. So my first point, the blood was necessary. So many want to forgive this. Why can't Jesus forgive me? Why does there need to be blood? But we have to think about the nature of God. And if we could throw up this Psalms 89, 14, in Psalms 9-7, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. To understand why there's a penalty for sins, why Christ had to go to the cross, we understand, have to understand that God is a God of justice. Sorry. It's so foundational to who God is. If I would kill somebody and I got to the judge 
and the judge says, you know, you didn't mean it, that's good, you can go. There would be no justice for that family of who I affected. If I went and robbed a store, and even if I paid it back, there would still not be for the justice for the store owner, what I put them through. And that's the thing about God. He is, his justice is the foundation of his throne. So there will be justice with him. And we need to understand that. John 3, 4 says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So we have lawlessness, we don't have justice. It's a violation of righteousness. And that's the foundation of God's throne. So the question becomes, why the blood? And that's a big question. Why the blood? I could go into history of the Old Testament and how Hebrews 9 says almost everything is purified by the blood and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. But it really comes down to why we have the blood of Christ, why we need that. It comes down to it's the omnipotent part of God who says, this is what I expect. That's what it comes down to. We have to understand that. There's people out there who say, well, I can't believe in God. I cannot believe in a good and loving God who sits there and wants the blood of, of a Savior for people to forgive sins. He expects us to forgive. How can he sit there and require his son to die? Why should I believe that? In fact, you're taking that blood thing from pagan religions. But I say, how do you know that pagan religions didn't take it from God? And who are we to say God can't require the blood for us? You know, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God has judged every one of us guilty. He created us in his image. I mean, we were created. Adam and Eve were created in his image. And we have fallen short of that image. And then wages, uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Concentrate on that first part. The wages of our sin is death. It's spiritual death. Not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. And the second part is the good news. We are all doomed except for the free gift of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.24 And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. You know, I looked up that word propitiation and I was kind of surprised it's only in the Bible twice. Once here, and then in Hebrews, when it talks about the mercy seat of God. It's not a common word we use, but it essentially means to appease, atone, and to make amends. Basically, it means that he satisfies the judgment by his blood. Christ's death on the cross is a method that God chose to satisfy his judgment. But there's one key point we can't look that this gift of judgment is paid as a gift for all who will receive Jesus Christ. And it's not just, oh, I believe in Jesus. No, it means who believe in him, enough to change their life and follow him. That's what Jesus asked us to do, to follow him, not just to believe him, but to follow him. So to recap my first point, the blood is necessary because God sets the justice standard and the penalty for sin. Second point, the blood was shed freely, even while sinners. I love the song that Abby sang, Come As You Are. Man, I was just like, yeah, come as you are, because that's what it's all about today. 
No one in this room or listening online are so good that we were entitled to forgiveness. No action, deed, or word gives us the right to expect God's forgiveness. But as I mentioned earlier, the entire Bible points to Christ. Throughout the history, man has been pulling away from God, and God's doing everything he can to bring him closer. I think of Numbers 21, when the people complained about God. And God said, you know, that's a sin. And he sends these serpents, and they bite the people. And God said, Moses, fashion a serpent of bronze and put it on the stick and raise it up. And those who look to them will be healed or they will not die. Sorry. Clearly, I, I need somebody to help me get dressed in the morning. Um, I think I got down now. Maybe I got to quit moving. But my point is, that was the foreshadowing of Christ. God is so, even in the Old Testament, he's already to get, getting us ready to see his son coming as to look on the cross to get saved. So my point is, or we all have sin in our lives, and we all struggle. But God does not say, get cleaned up and then come to me. No, he says, I will transform you. I will make you clean. And for anyone here who are listening online later, if you're sitting there, my sins are not that bad. I can come to Christ when I'm ready. You know, I'll work on it next year, next month. Consider that as pride. Consider that of needing to repent, that, yeah, you really do need God. He, he calls for that. Or if anyone's thinking, I need to get a little better before I go and seek him. I'm not good enough. That's not true. As we sang this morning, come as you are. Um, look at Paul. God took Paul, who was a Jesus-hating, Christian-killing, hunter and jailer and persecutor of Christians, and turned him into a man that traveled the world, shipwrecked multiple times, all for the name of Jesus Christ. He can transform us. And for those of you who think I've accepted Christ in my life, I'm good. My question to you is, are you letting Christ transform you? Yes, Christ will change us. And all who ask, he will change our lives. But we have to be willing to work with him. I think of the two churches in Revelations. I mean, how shocking it must have been to be a church. And then Sardis, he says, Revelations 3.2, to wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in, our, in the sight of my God. Or Laodicea, later in the chapter, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you would be the cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out. When we believe in Christ, we're called to be on fire for him. So to recap my second point, God does not expect us to be sinless before we come to him. He did all for us, but he, he, and he's the one who will make us sinless. We just need to actually truly come to him. My third point, and probably the part that I like kind of the most, is a blood-formed covenant. Well, I like these took my sins, but Matthew 26, 27, 28. And he took the cup, and when he gave thanks to them, he's saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for sins. And I know throughout the church, throughout the world in churches, that verse, or that is repeated hundreds of thousands of times in churches where communion is repeated. But let your word, heart sink on those words, my blood of the covenant. Essentially, he's saying the covenant promise in Jeremiah 31 is going to be tr coming true. 
and it's going to be my blood that seals the deal. And we kind of look at Jeremiah 31. Behold, 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 31, 33. For this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the part that just kicks me sometimes when I think about it. Think of Moses in the Old Testament. The law came in these tablets of stone. God is so far off. He's in this mountain, and the mountain's shaking and thundering. The people would not go near. And he writes these laws of that first covenant on the stone, and Moses brings them down. And Jesus says, no, no more. With Jesus, God's going to write them on our heart. What a difference. What a difference to have a God who writes them on a heart versus some law or on a piece of paper or stone. And then, of course, it's amazing that God says, I will be their people. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 31, 34 goes on, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. That is just a statement. From the least to the greatest shall know me. It'll no longer just be the prophets, the priests, the pastors. God is in us. I'm not a pastor, but God is in us. He teaches us, but we have to listen to him. And continue, I will forgive their sins and remember them no more. What a promise. I often, you know, I have to admit sometimes I'll tell God I'm sorry for sin multiple times. And it's my own lack of faith, really. But say to say, I will remember him no more. But it was the blood of Jesus Christ that I said, Matthew, that formed this covenant. And Jeremiah's prophecy was 600 years before Jesus, approximately. And can you imagine if you were in that room and Jesus said those words to the disciples, my blood that will form the covenant? I'm pretty sure I would not have recognized Jeremiah's prophecy he was talking about. And I suspect the disciples didn't either. But so it's not so bad sometimes living 2,000 years later and when we have communion and we think about those words, how fortunate we are that we can go to Jeremiah and remind ourselves of all those promises that he will be our God and he will write the things on our hearts and not just tablets of stone that are so far away. My poor fourth point, the blood of Christ allows us to be transformed from his kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Again, back to Abby, the song in our family today, You Are Mine. I think it's the fourth song. You Are Mine. That's the truth. He's transferred us into the kingdom. We are his. Uh, we've already established that the word of the, the blood of Jesus forgives our sins. And when we are forgiven, we are his. Our soul's ownership is freed. It's just not that our sins are forgiven. It's our whole ownership of our soul is now belongs to Jesus Christ. One of the verses I speak about often, because it's one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
Yeah, I use a digital Bible. And one of the reasons why I do it is because I can make notes. And I like the notes are time stamped. I, re- I put a note in 2013. And it's still true today. And it will be true 10 years from now. I said, it's hard to fathom that we are raised up with him. We ourselves on this world, but it says we are raised. It is our spirit waiting one day for our body to be glorified. It really is a hard thing to grasp that we are raised with him. But it corresponds with the first verse I read. And the key points of both these verses is if you read them, they're all past tense. Made us alive with him. Raised us with him. This isn't, oh, I'm going to do this. This is already done. We have a new position we are to be living. Um, Just one more point before I leave this verse. I want to stress the words between the dashes. The King James parentheses uses, or King James versions use in parentheses. And that's not an accident. I really believe Paul was trying to say, by grace you have been saved. He's taken away from everybody that this is something you've done special or you're very a special person or something like that. No, it's by grace. God sent his son by grace. And my fifth and last point, oh, one more point on Ephesians. We don't really have the time, but I encourage everybody to go home sometimes and look through Ephesians chapter, two, uh, chapter 1. It leads up to 2. Look and ponder and underline every time it says to him, through him, with him, in Christ. We were never meant to live on this world by ourselves. We were meant to live in union with him, in that partnership. And when we understand that we really are in his domain, that we are his, it's really an amazing thing. My last point, the blood justifies us and protects us from the wrath of God. Hebrews 9.27, just as it pointed a man to die once, and then comes judgment. There's a judgment that awaits every person. When we die, all the things that we held by a person, except for Jesus Christ, are no longer of value at that moment. For some, it will be their family, their wealth, the power, their prestige, their politics, their jobs, even their good works. All these things will seem so important while we're in the flesh. But at the moment of judgment, the moment we stand before God, it will be nothing. Paul is so aware of these things that he says, set your minds on things that are above in Colossians 3.2, not on things on earth. It is so easy to focus our things on earth, all the pursuits of life. And I am not saying family's not important. I am not saying your job's not important. What I am saying is that at the moment of judgment, those things will not be important. I'm not saying your missionary trips aren't important. I'm not saying all your good works aren't important. But at the moment of death or the moment of judgment, they are not important. All that matters at that moment is the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what your faith says he has done for you. That's the most important thing in our lives. All the other stuff needs to come secondary after that point. So back to my point, uh, Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? It was the blood of Christ that did it all for us. That's the DNA. That's the power of the whole Bible. One more point about wrath. In this past year, I have to admit, I have been somewhat dismayed 
about some of the things that I'm seeing on the news. So, and some of them I think are pretty crazy and I would have never imagined seeing it even five years ago. Um, in Southern California where a biological male was in a woman's locker room and, his, and the robe was open and there were young children, females, in that locker room. And yet it was considered that person's right to do there for their dignity, that was their right. Another example is today we have biological males being put into females' prisons. And in case there's been a case now where a female's been impregnated by a biological male. There's so many things in the news that are going on that we would never think even possible 10 years ago. And I think of Isaiah 50, 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In all the examples above, the courts have ruled, well, that's their right. That's what they deserve. But I think about what, what about the lady in the, in the cell who became pregnant? How many times were they tortured or even having to live through that? What about the young girls? And one more example, July 22nd, just over two weeks ago, there, while discussing a Hyde Amendment, one of our politicians expressed their delete, um, deep, devoted faith. And the Hyde Amendment keeps dollars from abortion. And they actually said it was a defining aspect of their life. And the quote was said, it's not up for me to dictate that what other people should do, and it, funding of abortion and Medicaid, is an issue of fairness and justice for the poor woman in our country. And I read that quote of justice, I thought, wow, here I'm talking about the justice of God. And there will be justice. As I said, if I committed a, 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 a robbery or killed somebody, the justice of the family will come, if not from man, but from God. And I thought of the justice of the baby. And I, it's still ironic to think of that devout faith is your cornerstone, and yet the justice of God is just fathom, is not even ironic. And there's a judgment coming, it's the wrath. And I'm not trying to be, you know, all dramatic. I'm just saying it's in the Bible. And I'm not trying to be all gloom and doom. No, because the word says, come as you are. My point of saying the wrath is coming, judgment is coming, is to pray. We need to pray for our legislators, our um, politicians, our pastors, our entertainment leaders. We need to pray for all these people far more than we need to complain for them. I'm not saying we should get run over, but when we're getting run over, don't forget to first pray and then stand up. Christ's blood was shed for all of us, even while we were sinning. Tim Pomp stated last week, and I'm going to paraphrase a bit, but he said, pray for our leaders, that the Holy Spirit will guide them, that their hearts will be softened to hear the word. And he talked about their conscience, that their conscience will be in tune with our God. That's what we need to do. And Gus, he often quotes 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. When we turn away from our evil ways, we're repenting. And I said the blood of Christ was, set, was shed for us freely. That's true. But it takes everybody to accept it. A person to be forgiven has to accept it. When they accept it, we need to turn from our wicked ways. 
First John um, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I remember the day I accepted Christ in my life. I was fourth year of my college. And after a message probably similar to this, I stood up and asked Christ in my life. I had tears running down my face, snot running down my face, because my whole life I was balancing my faith in God was going to be kind of a balance. You know, I'm pretty good, I got baptized, I'm okay, and I'm better than those people. And I'm going to worry about God later. But that day I realized that none of that was going to work. All that was going to work was the blood of Jesus Christ and him living in me to make that happen. If anyone here has never experienced what it means to have your true sins just washed away, that lightness, I encourage you to come up after this and, and ask for prayer. And if you're online or listening, if nothing else, just ask Christ right now, Lord, wash away my sins. I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Forgive me for what I've done. I need you in my life. If anyone has a secret sin today, I ask you to confess it now. Turn, as it says in Chronicles, turn from our sins. So I just have, I want to recap my final five points and then just leave with the challenge. Five points where the blood was necessary because of the throne of God is based on justice and righteousness. The blood, number two, the blood was shed freely. Even while sinners, Christ died for us. Number three, the blood of Christ sealed the covenant. That was promised from Jeremiah so long ago that God would write those laws in our hearts. Number four, the blood of Christ being us, resulted in us being transferred into his kingdom. We are his. And number five, the blood protects us from the wrath of God to come. As you really do ponder these points, and I know when I accepted Christ, I had no clue what that meant in my life, you know? I surely didn't know these five points at that moment. But as you ponder them, there should be joy. And that joy should really encourage us to go tell other people of Jesus. And so I told you I was going to go from Genesis to Revelation in 30 minutes. I did. Because I'm going to start with Revelation, or end with Revelation 12, 11. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. There's a calling for all of us to take and cherish the blood of Jesus and appreciate the joy and then go out and tell other people. Thank you. Um, I guess I'm closing up today too. So I'll just say a prayer. And, um, and I just want to remind everybody that there's meals today. There's a food. So if somebody wants to grab something to eat, feel free. And we'll just pray. Father God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather and worship and pray the name of Jesus. We thank you for the, what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. We thank you that we do not ourselves need to be clean to come to you, but that you will clean us. We thank you for all that you've done through the blood of Jesus. We ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into our hearts, strengthen us for this coming week, and let your name be glorified by all of us. And Lord, even if we don't say a word, we pray, God, that our actions will stand and show people that there's something about us and that you are our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great rest of the week, great start in this next week. And if anyone needs prayer for anything, please feel free to come up here. Thank you.